Good morning, church, and Happy New Year. We can say it for real this week. This is the first Sunday of the new year. I want to talk to you today about the battle for your mind, the battle for your mind. If you brought your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, the very end of that chapter, Matthew chapter 3, and we'll be reading also in the chapter 4 in our study today. If you've been using a Bible reading plan that reads through the Bible in a year, you may have already read this passage. And because this is often where a lot of those reading plans begin, I'd encourage you to read your Bible on a daily basis. There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to read the entire Bible every year. But I would encourage you to read God's Word every day. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. The Bible says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, Afterward, he was hungry. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray the truth of it would become real and alive for us. May each of us, Lord, would you touch our minds, open our hearts to receive it truly as the bread, the spiritual food that we need this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we dive into the rest of chapter 4, looking at the temptation of Jesus, I want to make a couple of comments about this passage before we get into it. First of all, one of the great dangers that young Christians or immature Christians, you may have been a Christian a long time but not be mature, one of the great dangers you face is when things start to get hard, it can really mess with your mind. You may have had the assumption or maybe someone even told you that if you believe Jesus and follow him, then your life would be filled with blessings. What you discover is that's not true. There are many blessings, but then you discover there are many battles. And when those battles come, they can be disorienting. They can discourage you. Some cases can make you quit, want to quit. And so that's one of the the dangers that a young Christian or an immature Christian faces But what the encouraging thing we see here is that Jesus was no different. If I follow Jesus, there are going to be moments of great blessing in my life, like his baptism. Where at his baptism, at that moment, the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and the Father speaks and says, this is my beloved Son. And what a blessing to have that great affirmation at the very beginning of his public ministry and walk with his Father. But then, right after that, 
It says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And like many young Christians, we begin to follow God and our hearts are full. We're excited. But then as we're following God, something happens that we didn't expect and suddenly we find ourselves in the midst of a horrific battle. And that's what happened to Jesus. He was led of the Spirit in the wilderness and what happened? He had a battle and he experienced temptation. If you're not currently experiencing a battle in your life, uh, you may not be paying attention or it's about to happen because blessings and battles are part of our walk with God. You and I live in a hostile world. If I'm going to follow Jesus and he experienced blessings and battles, I should expect the same. The second observation I would make is this, that when God is building you and me, when he is growing you and me, he's not growing spiritual wimps. He's growing us into be spiritual warriors, men and women who know how to fight a spiritual battle. And so we shouldn't be surprised that God allows battles and conflicts and challenges to come into our life. And the first and most serious battle that you and I face is the same one that Jesus faced. And that is, who's going to control your mind? Who's going to control it? Who's going to call the shots related to what you think? The first battle Jesus faced was a battle for the mind. Now, why is that? Because if you can control the mind, you can control the person. We think that all I need to do is change what I'm doing. And we neglect sometimes the inner man. We talked about the inner man last fall a great deal. And the Bible has a lot to talk, say about your inner world. Typically, it uses the word heart in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, to describe that immaterial part of you. And it's not talking about the physical heart, because this heart represents everything that's inside you, your, your mind, your emotions, your will, even your human spirit are often contained in one big word, the heart. And sometimes these words are used interchangeably. But they're all describing that part of you that no one else can see, that inner part of you. And that's the part of you God is concerned about. In Matthew 22, verse 37, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God, this is Jesus speaking, with all your heart, not part of it, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's where the legalists get it wrong. The legalist thinks, well, if I just do the right thing, I'm good with God. If I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't drink, I don't go out with girls to do and whatever else is on our list, then I think I'm okay. And that's, that's what the legalist thinks. But Jesus said, and especially in the Sermon on the Mount, you've got it all wrong if that's what you're thinking. He said, if you even think about adultery, you have committed adultery. If you even hate someone in your mind, you wish they were off the table and you could take them out, you have committed murder. God is looking for a transformation, a change inside of you, and that heavily involves your mind. Now, the Bible has much to say about the mind and the heart, but I think I can sum it up in two ways. First, the mind is a source of corruption and deception in your life, especially if you don't know Christ. It's, a, it's been damaged. Your inner man, your inner self has been damaged by sin. You were born that way. And it's a tremendous source of deception 
and corruption. Jesus refers to this in Mark chapter 7, verse 20. He says, and, and he said, what comes out of a man, not what goes in, what comes out of a man defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart, what's the heart? It's that immaterial part of you, right? The inside. For out of the heart of men proceed what? Evil thoughts. That's the first thing that that, that heart, that broken heart produces, evil thoughts. And then everything else comes after that, adulteries, fornications, murderers, uh, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. So the mind is a source of deception and corruption, and it can also be called the heart. The mind is also something else. When God wants to change you, when God wants to transform you, you come and you put your trust in Christ for salvation. Your sins are carried away. But that's not all he intends to do, is it? The Bible says that he sends the Holy Spirit when you believe. He sends the Holy Spirit to come live inside you. And he's there to change you. Now, how does he do that? He begins with your mind. In Romans 12, verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. And so your mind is a critical battlefield, isn't it? And, and so how do you renew your mind? Um, I brought with me something to represent your mind. Now, this, this, is, this is to represent everybody's mind, okay? Not, not, just, not just my mind or your mind. Get a couple things out of here, um, out of the way. All right, the way your mind works, according to the Scripture, it's very important what goes in your mind. Because nobody can see what's in your mind but you. I mean, you, you know what's there. And you may not always have clarity regarding what's going on in your mind. The Bible does teach that. But for the most part, that part you do know about that's going on in your mind, nobody else can see it but you. And, and, um, and it's pretty much the way we like to keep it. I don't want you to see what's in my mind. You don't want me to see what's in your mind. And so, how do we change our mind? Well, we get... We get new information. Have you ever gotten up uh, one morning, just felt terrible, just mentally, you're just not with it, you're discouraged, you're unhappy, you get a phone call, some good news, somebody invites you to go shopping or whatever, I don't know, you know, whatever it is. And everything's wonderful now. Well, what happened? Well, something, something good happened. Something good went into your mind, okay? All right? My wife and I have been on a diet for several months. And, um, and this is not bad. I just want you to know, chocolate is not bad. It's a vegetable. <laughs> chocolate comes from a bean. Okay? It's, it comes from a bean. And so whatever, whatever is good, you put that in your mind, it, it, it has an effect on your mind, okay? That goes home with me. All right. So, so I'm going to take this lid off because it's in my way. All right. So what happens if I put truth in my mind? If I put truth into my mind, it affects me. Don't, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. My mind's renewed by truth, biblical truth. And when I put the truth into my mind, it's there in my mind. Now, if something difficult happens in my life, something hard, something puts me under stress, that tends to be when the lid comes off, and whatever's on our mind comes out. 
In other words, what's really been going on in your heart, what's really been going on in your mind, tends to come out when we're under stress. And, and we, we see that in others, and we've got to know that that's true of ourselves. If I'm putting lies into my mind, lies about who I am, lies about my destiny, lies about my relationships, particularly my relationship with God, and I'm just putting lies into my, my mind, when I come under stress, when my whole world goes upside down, what comes out? All those lies. That's what comes out. And so it's vitally important that you and I pay attention to our minds and what we're putting into those minds. Well, you know, you say, well, Don, does the Bible actually say that? Well, it does. In uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says what you listen to, what you look at, what you take into your mind eventually is going to come out. The wisest man on earth said this, Proverbs 4, 23, keep your heart. That means guard it, protect it. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And so if you put garbage in, what are you going to get out? Garbage. You put spiritual truth, pure thoughts, right thoughts, good thoughts, true thoughts into your mind, what comes out? Those kinds of thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors. Well, this is what Jesus is doing in this passage of Scripture. As we go through Matthew 4, he is guarding his mind. He is protecting it. He is keeping his heart with all diligence. Well, it's truly a mind game. As we read these verses, I want you to keep that in mind. The devil never touches him. The, never, the devil never shakes him. Never, the devil never does anything to him except speak to him. And it's a matter of the mind. If Satan can infiltrate and influence your mind, he can get you to do whatever he wants. And in this first battle, there are three particular areas that he's going after in your heart. The battle for your mind is over three life-defining truths. Here's the first one. The truth about what I need. The first battle is fought over the truth about what I need. We're going to keep reading in verse 3 of chapter 4. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every word, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, Jesus had been fasting. In verses 1 and 2, it tells us he was hungry. He'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. I think I would be hungry too. People who study long-term fasting for medical purposes or any other purpose will tell you there's an initial battle with hunger that takes place within the first 48 or 72 hours. But those who have done extended fast, those who have fasted for lengthy periods of time will tell you that weeks later, 40 days later, there's another round of hunger that begins to kick in. Jesus was experiencing that. And the temptation was real. Jesus, you have the power to get what you are wanting right now. Turn these stones to bread. You have the ability to get what you need. You don't need God to get what you need. You don't need anybody's help. You don't need anybody's permission. You can just turn these stones into bread. You have the power. You have the ability. And you can meet your own needs. 
devil is arguing that what Jesus most needed in this moment is what he was feeling. I'm going to say that again. The devil was arguing in this moment is that what he needed the most is what he was feeling. Now, feelings are not bad. They're God-given. But you and I both know feelings go up and down. They're transient. They change a lot. And they make poor guides for your life. If you're making decisions based on feelings, you're making a lot of mistakes. If you're determining the direction in your life based on your feelings, you're going to make some huge mistakes. And Jesus could have made a huge mistake at this moment. They can't control your life. So Satan appeals to the human reason of Jesus because he's feeling some things. So the next thing he goes to is Jesus' human reason. He said, Here's, here it is. If you're the son of God, you have the power, you have the ability, command that these stones become bread. He's going to do that to you. He is doing that to you a thousand times a day. He is appealing to your reason. And based on what you watch, what you listen to, what you have studied, what you have learned, what you have absorbed into your mind, you may have swaddled a big part of the lie and the philosophy of Satan. Some of those thoughts, examples of the kind of philosophy of life that Satan works into the hearts and minds of men and women, man is just an animal. He exists because he's just a cosmic accident. Man is good by nature, but corrupted by society. Social problems have material economic causes, and so we need politicians to fix it. Your happiness is all that matters. Bible-based beliefs are crude and backward. Jesus is just a man, and he makes mistakes. Life has no special meaning except what you give it. Love is all we need. Well, I hear that one all the time. And then there is no God. We are alone, and only we can help ourselves. I don't know what, which of those thoughts, if any, resonate with you. We, li- we live in a world, we live in a culture that has swallowed that philosophy. And I could have kept on reading for a long time. What Satan wants to do is replace the wisdom of God with the wisdom of man. He wants to replace what God says with your reason. And not only does he want to accomplish that in your life, he was trying to do that with Jesus. He is replacing the wisdom of God with human wisdom. This began all the way in the Garden of Eden. You can just jot this down in your notes. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. After the devil deceived her, after he lied to her, Listen to the process, the reasoning process that went on in her mind. Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, makes sense, good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, it makes sense. You know, there's some things people eat, I, I look at it and I say, I wouldn't eat that. But this fruit wasn't that way. That it was pleasant to the eyes. And a tree desirable to make one wise. I mean, there's some advantages to eating this fruit. It makes sense. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate, and it was the worst mistake of Eve's life, and it was the worst mistake of Adam's life, and it was perfectly reasonable. The Bible says over and over again, you cannot trust your reason alone. 
to arrive at the truth. We don't have time to go into everything the Bible says about that, but I want you to see very simply how Jesus fought this battle. Each time the devil comes to him and appeals to his feelings, his reason, and, and, and says, Jesus, this is what you need. Or he comes to you and me and says, this is what you need. Look at how Jesus fought this battle. You need to know this. He always goes to the same place, and it's where your mind and my mind needs to go also. Look at what he says. In verse 4, he says, it is written. In verse 7, he says, it is written. When he's tempted again, the third time, verse 10. He says, it is written. Now, if the Son of God didn't use his own feelings to lead him or his own reason to lead him, but he only ran to the Word of God and let the Scripture lead him, that's the first thing he needed to know in a battle is what was the truth about his situation. The first thing that he needed to understand was what was the truth about what was happening to him. And he never fought a battle without first understanding the truth. And God is the one who provides that. Do you know know this? Do you know that you need God's word more than you need physical food? Do you know that the whole sum of your life, whether or not you're in the will of God, out of the will of God, whether you accomplish anything significant in eternity, all of that is driven by whether or not you truly understand what you need the most. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's the first battle, the truth about what I need. There's a second part of this battle, and Jesus illustrates it for us. It's not only the truth about what I need, but secondly, it's the truth about who I am. Look at verse 5. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written. Now this isn't Jesus saying that. That's the devil. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. The devil comes this time and he's challenging Jesus' identity. He says, if you are the Son of God. Now, he said that earlier in the first temptation, but he was talking about Jesus' abilities, Jesus' power. If you have the power, you're the Son of God, you can take care of this food problem. This is different. He says, if you are the Son of God, he's challenging who Jesus is. If you're the son of God, your father is going to come help you. And there's a temptation in this moment. Jesus, you're hungry. Jesus, you're having trouble. And now, if you go up here on this pinnacle, if you throw yourself down right now, you can prove to me, you can prove to everybody who sees it and everybody who hears about it that you are the son of God because your father is going to come and rescue you. And that was a real temptation, or else it wouldn't have been called a temptation. There was something inside of Jesus that resonated with that. Does he ever come to you like he came to Jesus and say, if you are really his, this wouldn't be happening to you right now? If you're really his, if you really belong to him, if you're really a son of God or a daughter of God, 
Why isn't he rescuing you? Why isn't he fixing your problems and making them go away? The devil likes to cast doubts on who you are. He likes to cast doubt on your relationship with the Father. He likes to do that. And so Satan is catching on. Jesus quoted Scripture, so what does Satan do? He starts to quote Scripture, but he's abusing it. He's quoting from Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is a promise that God is going to rescue his people. Ultimately, no matter what happens to them, he's going to rescue them. He's going to extract you from this world of darkness, extract you from this world of pain, extract you from the bondage of sin, extract you from the rule of Satan. He's going to rescue you. And Psalm 91 is all about, ultimately, the rescue of God. But there's nothing in Psalm 91 that says, and by the way, if you want to prove that you belong to God, throw yourself off a mountain. See what God does. It's all about what God does when you're attacked. It's not saying that you should test God. And that's why Jesus responds the way that he does. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, why is Satan attacking you and me at this point of our identity? Why does he do that? Because your identity drives a lot about who you are, what you do, and how you make decisions. People can spend their entire lives obsessed with what others think about them and being controlled by the opinions of others. You can pursue success. You can even acquire some measure of success. You can focus on how you dress, what you drive, where you live. The symbols can can come in a thousand different ways, but you're ultimately obsessed with it, and you do everything you can to project the image. That's why social media is so popular, to project an image of how I want you to see who I am. The only problem is on the inside, you know you're not all that. You know you're not all that. You know who you really are. And you know the kind of battles that you fight, and you know how much you fail, you know how much you really think about yourself. And there's a struggle there. And if you start quoting Scripture, trying to identify with the Father, resting your heart in the truth, Satan's going to challenge your relationship to him. And that's what happened here. But listen, only God can tell you the truth about who you are. Your mama can't tell you the truth about who you are. Your father can't tell you the truth about who you are. Only God can do that. We live in a world right now where I want to tell you who I am. I can tell you who I am all day, but that's not necessarily the truth about who I am. I can tell you that I identify as a preacher. I may not be a preacher. I can tell you I identify as a puppy dog, but I'm no puppy dog. I can be a man and tell you that I identify as a woman. Or I can be a woman and tell you I identify as a man. But if you go deep enough, you'll discover at the chromosomal level what I am. God is the only one who tells you the truth about who you are. And that is the most important truth that you can know about yourself, is who you are. We can get confused as we look at our lives, especially if you're a devoted Christian, you love the Lord, and you see your failures, you know how much you fail, you know how much you mess up, and you say, I don't even know if I could possibly belong to God. And we get confused, and and things get muddy to us, and things get unclear to us. But listen, it's clear to God. It's clear to Him. You're either of God, you're of the world, and he knows which. And through his spirit, through his word, he can tell you who you are. And he will tell you the truth. There is no third alternative. There's no in-between condition. You're of God, 
or you're not of God. Well, Jesus knew this. He knew that only God can establish your true identity. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, he had heard the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He knew, I don't need to test God. I just need to trust God. I don't need to test Him. I just need to rest in what He's already said, that I'm His Son. And that's true of you, Christian. No matter how much you've blown it, no matter how much you've failed, ultimately, you cannot tell the truth about who you are, but He can. And you need to turn to Him. And that's a real battle. And some of you are fighting that battle now. And the enemy's having a heyday in your life. You need to stop listening to him. Stop listening to everybody else. And just turn to God's word and say, God, I want to know the truth about me and who I am. There's a third part of this battle, the final part of it. The battle for your mind is focused on three truths. The truth about what I need. The truth about who I am. And finally, the truth about why I am here. The truth about why I am here. Look at verse 8. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. This was a real temptation. A lot of times people read these, these temptations of Jesus, and we say, well, that was no big deal. That was a big deal. See, Jesus had a mission. His mission was to take the world back for God. That which had been lost by human sin, he was going to come as God in the flesh and reclaim what belonged to the God, reclaim creation, restore it to what God intended it to be. And so the temptation was real. It also tells us that Satan is a lot more in charge than we realize. If he can deliver all the nations of the world, and that's a real temptation to Jesus, I can deliver all this to you, then that tells you that he must be the one who truly rules the world, the world system and all of its values. He's doing his very best to influence the, the nations and control them. He pulls the strings. And so as the ruler of this world, he comes to Jesus and he says, I can give you all the kingdoms of the world, all their glory, everything associated with the rulership of this planet, I can give it to you. He says, you only have to do one thing. You have to fall down at my, my feet, worship me. And we've talked about this word before. It's a, a Greek word under that English word, worship. And it's a Greek word, proskuneo. Proskuneo means to lie flat before someone, just to lie on the ground flat before them. And it's made up of two words, pros, which means towards, and kineo, which means to kiss. And so what he's saying is to, to lead with your lips, all your heart, all your affection. You're lying flat on the ground. The thing that's leading the way is your lips because you have completely surrendered to the person that you're worshiping, that you are submitting to. That's all. Do that, Jesus, and I can give you all the kingdoms of the world. Satan has already tried to replace Scripture with the feelings of Jesus, with the reason of Jesus. He's already tried to twist Scripture. He's quoted it, but he's twisted it, tried to make it say something it was never intended to say. 
But now he's ignoring it completely. And he's showing his real hand. Here's what I want from you. I want your worship, he says to Jesus. I want you to fall down and worship me. Satan was making it a battle over the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus to reclaim the planet for the Father, that was his assignment. And, and Satan the way is Jesus, deep down inside you, you know what lies ahead. And Jesus told his disciples what was coming. He knew what was coming. He knew the cross was coming. The devil says there's an easier way to do this. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do all this stuff that you're doing to try to win the hearts of men and women around the world. You don't have to, to, to suffer. You don't have to go through all the pains and hardships and troubles of other human beings. And you can achieve your mission. There's an easy way. The mistake the devil makes is that Jesus was not here just about his mission. He had a purpose. And your purpose is what determines your mission in life. The reason you exist, the reason that you are here, is what determines your mission. Your mission is your assignment. Your mission is why you're here. Your mission are the works that you're supposed to accomplish. Your mission are specific tasks for specific gifted people, specific assignments from God. You have a mission. Jesus had a mission. Everybody here has a mission and a calling from God, whether you understand it or pay attention to it or not. But your mission, there's more to you than just your activity. God is looking more from you. He's looking for more than just actions. Do you understand your purpose? Do you understand why you're here? Your mission comes from that purpose. Jesus answered it. He said, away with you, Satan. I can't do what you're saying. I'm, I'm not even interested in what you're saying, for it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Why, what is my purpose? It's to worship God, to serve God. If you're doing anything else with your life, you are off task. You are not on your mission. Some people go their whole lives thinking they're serving God, and they have not they may have had a mission, but it wasn't the mission, and it certainly didn't grow out of their purpose because they didn't know their purpose. Your purpose, you were created to serve God. Do you know why you're here? I'm not talking about at Wind Baptist Church on January 7th, Sunday morning. But do you know why you're on this planet? You're here to worship God. You're here to yield your life to Him. You're here to bring Him glory. You're here to serve Him. And that's where you find your greatest joy. That's where you find your hope. That's where you find your meaning in life. That's where you find your mission is in the context of your purpose. Life is more than what I do. It's about why I do what I do. It's about my purpose to serve him. This morning as we gather on the first Sunday of a new year, as God speaks to us through his word about this battle for the mind. How are you doing in this battle? You know, I, I used a picture of somebody looking at an iPhone in the, the slides this morning. I don't want to suggest to you that there's anything inherently evil about an iPhone. Although if yours isn't working, you may disagree with me. But it is, it is a statement about information that you're putting into your mind. 
And I don't know what you look at on your phone or what you look at at home, what you're reading or what you're listening to, but you need to know that that is not value neutral. That what you listen to and what you read and what you follow and what you embrace is going into your mind and whatever you put into your mind ultimately is going to come out of your life as attitudes and actions and behaviors. And what God is calling you and I to is to turn to him and say, I want the truth. I want the truth about what I need, what I need most in life. I want the truth about that. I want the truth about who I am. I want the truth about why I'm here.